Jesus entered a house. A crowd gathered again so that it was impossible for him and his followers even to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they came to take control of him. They were saying, he's out of his mind. The legal experts came down from Jerusalem. Over and over they charged. He's possessed by Beelzebub. He throws out demons with the authority of the ruler of demons. When Jesus called them together, he spoke to them in a parable. How can Satan throw Satan out? A kingdom involved in civil war will collapse, and a house torn apart by divisions will collapse. Satan rebels, re rebels against himself and is divided. Then he can't endure. He's done for. No one gets into the house of a strong person and steals anything without first trying, uh, tying up the strong person. Only then can the house be burglarized. I assure you that human beings will be forgiven for everything, for all sins and insults of every kind. But whoever insults the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. That person is guilty of a sin with consequences that last forever. He said this because the legal experts were saying, he's possessed by an evil spirit. His mother and brothers arrived. They stood outside and sent word to him, calling for him. A crowd was seated around him, and those, and those sent to him said, look, your mother, brothers, and sisters are outside looking for you. He replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Looking around at those seated around him in a circle, he said, look, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. Thank you. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm one of your pastors here at Zao. I'm so excited that we just sang radio <laughs> in church. I'm one of those uh, people who, like, when, I, especially when I was, like, I don't know, like, 13, 14, 15, like, I, like, I, that, Creep is still a go-to karaoke choice for me, but, like, I sang that song with a kind of passion alone in my room. I felt like a weirdo and an outcast and somebody who didn't fit in in basically every space I was in for so much of my life. And, uh, it's, it's interesting to see how when we actually allow ourselves to bring the fullness of who we are to the scriptures, we see not that we have to fit in to a religious mold, but actually that Jesus paved the way for breaking those molds, and that it was hard for Jesus too. We are in a series uh, called Underground, which is about the book of Mark, one of the Gospels which tells the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus. And there are a couple because they tell them, each Gospel tells from a different perspective. And as we're going through it, we are intentionally accompanying our reading of Mark with a project um, called uh, Queering the Bible by Unbound, a journal, an online journal, that published um, queer authors and interpretations of all 16 chapters of the book of Mark. Today, the person who commented on Mark chapter 3 and, and chose this selection of verses to focus on is Pastor Brooke Scott. Pastor Scott is a queer black woman from Philadelphia, She's now ordained and a pastor of a church in Delaware. And in her reflection on this passage, she notes how rejected Jesus was. 
in this passage and in the whole gospel of Mark, that Mark really wanted us to understand how much opposition Jesus faced. Now, Pastor Brooke Scott, as a person juggling many identities and contexts, she shared in her reflection how she was a black woman who moved between white and black communities growing up. She went to moderate white churches and conservative black churches, never feeling fully understood by either. She came out as queer in seminary and felt this enormous tension because the church was this site and source of so much harm against LGBTQ people. And yet here she was, a queer woman, becoming a leader in the church. And finally, uh, as she wrestled with her queer identity and she came out as bi and pansexual, she struggled with not feeling queer enough. How many people here who identify as queer or trans have ever worried if they're queer or trans enough? <laughs> yeah, like a lot of us. A lot of us who are like very queer and very trans. <laughs> but she wrote, in many ways, my body has felt like a holding space for contradictions and a site of disconnection. It's why no matter where life takes me, I'll always connect to Mark's Jesus. Brooke Scott also uses intense language as she talks about Jesus, and so I'm going to quote her description of Mark's uh, characterization. She writes, Mark's Jesus is this eccentric-ass freak who has only humble beginnings in a small, boring town. Jesus is conceived by an unwed teenager and no man in sight. He's a faithful Jew, but can't seem to follow the rules. Jesus is a teacher, but he loves all the wrong people. He holds wealth, wealth of wisdom, but grew up in poverty. He's a man, but challenges systems of power and gender norms of the day. Jesus is inherently queer, she writes, in that he exists outside of what is normal or acceptable. Now, I find this to be deeply true of the Jesus I know and love. Jesus loves a paradox, I often say. And we talk about some of it sometimes. I think the most popularly recognized paradox in Jesus is that he is both human and divine. And it's not like a 50-50 split. It's like fully and fully. Jesus is super bad at math. Just wait till you get to the Trinity. 100%, 100%, and 100%. <laughs> so Jesus being fully human and fully divine is paradoxical, is non-binary in his very being. And Pastor Scott draws out this identity of being super Jewish. I mean, like Jesus was a devout Jew and being a lawbreaker which is actually like a really big deal because the, the way to be Jewish is to be devoted to the law. And so Jesus was devoted to the law and out of devotion publicly broke it a lot. Jesus was the Messiah, the coming one, the one opposed to empire and was crucified publicly by that empire. And this paradox is, is sort of a, an exposure of the narrowness of our understanding of salvation, that we think that military might is what will save us, that we think that power from above is what will save us. So Jesus came in some way from above so that he could lead us to salvation from below, crucified by the state. 
And in my favorite non-binary paradoxical um, display, Jesus is someone who was alive and then dead and then alive again. (laughs) And even this is non-binary because instead of two things that feel diametrically opposed, one is alive or dead. Jesus transforms death by defeating it and transforms life by resurrecting a new being, fully himself and yet unrecognizable. Our Jesus loves a paradox. And all of these complicated, contradictory identities are really, really hard for human minds and particularly human authorities to hold. How many of us have contradictory identities that are hard for human minds and human authorities to hold? Who has been able or unable to hold all of you? to recognize your divinity in your wholeness. As a culture, we just don't get Jesus. We like to flatten Jesus or even rewrite Jesus altogether. This is how we end up with blonde surfer Jesus, American flag action figure Jesus, or one of my favorites, precious moments Jesus, who is somehow porcelain and just wants everyone to smile and hug. Now, when I was contemplating becoming a church planter, when I was in seminary, people knew who I was. (laughs) People knew the justice work that I was committed to. People knew my queerness, my transness. And so they would say, oh, you're going to start a church. And I was like, yeah, for sure. So you're going to start like a justice church. And I'd be like, what? (laughs) Oh, you're going to start like a queer church? And like, don't get me wrong. Zhao has been characterized accurately as a justice church, as a queer church, as a trans church. But like, my response to that was always like, I'm starting a Jesus church. And if a Jesus church isn't queer and just and radical, then it's not a Jesus church. Too many people in my life have been forced to choose between those things that our world and our human authorities find to be contradictory, but the Spirit of God made to be parts of a whole and beautiful divinity. I encountered radicals in my adolescence and early 20s that were doing kingdom-building work that were in the streets fighting for justice, that were dreaming of a different kind of world where all could be liberated and free. And they had been, down to the very last one, systematically alienated from the church. They had no connection to a spiritual tradition that I believed taught that we should be doing the very things they taught me to do. Build the kingdom. Change the world. Meanwhile, I had another community, my campus ministry in college, deeply spiritual, connected people, people in practice, in prayer, connected to the divine, to one another, intentionally bringing love into their relationships, but systematically by the church alienated from the work of justice and the work of of knowing and honoring themselves taking them away from their identities, so many of them closeted so deeply that some of them couldn't find themselves at all. And in the years that followed, I saw a lot of people negotiating their identities, some of them finding themselves and having to make a choice. Do I go back into the closet and back to my home in the church? 
Or do I walk out of the closet and away from the church forever? Well, in a moment of like peak non-binary, I refused to choose. (laughs) I was like, I cannot. I need it all. This is all part of who I am. I am non-binary. I am trans. I am queer. I am in love with Jesus. I am in the streets. I have a vision for the kingdom that was given to me by the divine. I have a longing for community and prayer and contemplation and connection. And I cannot do that by cutting off parts of myself. I will not choose against myself, against who God created me to be. Now, luckily... We have a Jesus, a Jesus who loves a paradox, a Jesus who is expressly non-binary, a Jesus who shows us what it means to be full and complex and to do so boldly in the face of religious and family opposition and to still build spiritual community and heal the world. Our text today from Mark chapter 3 tells a story of Jesus' encounter both with those religious authorities and with his family not understanding the fullness of who he is. Now, Mark starts again as he has in previous chapters already by letting you know that Jesus was like super popular. (laughs) People were crowding. There was no room. Jesus couldn't even eat a meal because there were so many people around. This is how impactful his ministry is, even though he's always telling people like, don't tell anybody about me. Don't tell the cops. We're just hanging out. (laughs) Underground gospel here. And yet the movement is growing because it's so profound, because so many people are being healed. And this is what Jesus is doing in this particular story. He's healing people. He's creating communities of healing and transformation. But his family doesn't get it. They say that he's out of his mind. And they're worried. This is the concern, the concerned family. They're just worried about him. The religious authorities enter the fray. They're worried too, but they're not worried about his well-being. They're worried about the power that he's building. They're worried about the different vision he has for how power ought to be distributed. And so they try and come up for an explanation for the fact that he is so powerful. And they say, his power must have come from the devil. He's using the power of the devil to heal people. And Jesus is like, wait, what? (laughs) Come on, guys. How can I heal with evil? How can I oppose the devil with the devil? The devil is fueling my project to like heal people and free people from the devil. Like, this doesn't even make sense, guys. And then he gets fired up. And this is something Jesus does a lot. This is another reason that like I'm not super worried about harsh, intense language in church. If the F-bomb in the song that we sang earlier freaked you out, I'm with you and I share that and I can hold that with you. And you should just know that Jesus, it's hard to recognize because of like historical context, Jesus cursed, like literally cursed people frequently. And the language was pretty salty then. But we just don't recognize it because it's like old-timey now. But Jesus comes in again with his harsh language. And he's like, what you're doing, it's unforgivable. 
God will forgive all kind of stuff. God has a lot of leeway for human beings. But there's one sin that has consequences that last forever, and that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And again, this is Jesus just coming in real hot. But I think he's trying to make a very important point about what can be forgiven. Earlier this year, we spent a lot of time in a series on sin and trying to understand what sin is and how it gets repaired. And so we talk here about sin as a rupture, sin as a tear in the fabric of relationship, relationship between self and self, self and community, community and God, this whole ecosystem that is meant to be in right relationship. Anytime there is a damage to that relationship, we call that sin. And so, the work of the Holy Spirit is repair. The work of the Holy Spirit is healing. The work of the Holy Spirit is bringing things into right relationship. And so, Jesus is saying, you don't understand what God is doing. If you look at healing and call it Satan, you can't be a part of this. You can't be a part of this if you can't recognize it. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is refusal to recognize the work of God. Jesus says, get on board with what God is doing. Get on board with healing. Recognize the fruit of this ministry. How can you look at healed people and call them victims of Satan? How can you look at loving relationship and call that Satan? How can you look at transformed communities and call that Satan? That's blaspheming the work of the Spirit. And you can't be a part of healing if you don't know what healing is. So Jesus is hot about this one. Brooke Scott writes in this way, How many among us have been accused of evil when we were bending the ark towards justice. She describes her experience of rejection and opposition. Her holy, prophetic healing work rejected because she's a woman or because she's queer. Her work to dismantle white supremacy and queerphobia, getting her accused of causing division or being too angry. She gets comments That we get, actually. (laughs) You're leading people astray. You're doing the work of the devil. They mistake the work of freedom for satanic evil, she writes. People who are so committed to their biases and prejudice can never live in the land of the living because they cannot even recognize it for what it is. Jesus is here to preach a gospel of solidarity and freedom. But if you see solidarity and you call it evil, how can you enter the land of the living? If you see the flourishing of life and call it death, do you want to be well? Do you want to be made alive? Do you want to be in liberated kingdom community? Do you want to get on board with the Holy Spirit? Now, our God does not coerce or force. So God will not heal you against your will. And if you see the healing work of God and you call it evil, you can't be healed or forgiven unless you can see that harm as harm. Healing can't be realized unless you catch the vision of kingdom. Healing can't be realized unless they want 
your healing too. Healing can't be realized as long as they are committed to harming you. We all have growing to do, and we all can repent. But to build the kingdom, we have to love God's vision for solidarity and liberation for all and not just some. We have to get on board with what the Holy Spirit is doing, even when it calls us to repent, even when it calls us to examine the harm that we have done. And the Spirit of God, the person of Jesus, the power of the gospel, it's real. It's real, and it brings that liberation, and we can see that here and now. We don't have to wait for the pearly gates. Kingdom is now. The kingdom is here. It is coming. It is already and not yet. We are coming into freedom every time we heal one another, every time we dismantle a system of oppression, every time we build solidarity and liberation and hope. Scott writes, the evidence is right there. People who encountered this miracle-working Jesus begin to experience true healing in their bodies, minds, and spirits. It's a beautiful image to ponder. Like maybe when people encountered Jesus, they began living as their true, authentic selves again. People began loving who they want to love and living without fear again. People begin feeling at home in their bodies and free in their gender identities. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It is healing. It is joy. But we need support and community to do that. We cannot build a kingdom of solidarity and liberation while the people closest to us reject the foundation of that vision. And so Jesus models what we can do there too. Jesus' family is trying to gather him. Because remember, they think he's out of his mind. They can't understand the vision he's casting. They can't get on board with what the Spirit is doing. So they stop him. They, they try and bring him back to what they experience as acceptable behavior. The crowd says, hey, Jesus, your family's coming for you. And so Jesus turns to them and he says, who is my family? You're my family. You're my mother, my brother, my sisters. And so is anyone who is doing the work of God the work of kingdom building, the work of solidarity, the work of liberation and hope and love and joy. Jesus was modeling for us one of the queerest things of all, which is chosen family. Choosing one another, not based on where we come from, but where we are going. Based on who will heal with us, who will be in solidarity, who will fight for liberation. Who sees you? Who fights for you? Who challenges you towards greater justice? That community that embraces the fullness of who you are and of who the kingdom is, that's your family. We need, we need a family. And that's why Jesus uses the language of family over and over again. Sisters, brothers, siblings, children of God, we can choose one another. We can be family to one another. And we know family. We recognize family because they join the movement towards healing and liberation rather than trying to bring us back to old patterns of harm. We need family. And sometimes that doesn't include our families of origin. 
And that is so painful. Now, this is not to say our families of origin can't get on board. Some of Jesus' family did in a big way, and it took them a minute. But Jesus shows us that it is okay to recognize who is and isn't our family in the work of living, in the work of love, in following the Spirit towards freedom. And being able to say, I know who my family is. It is the people who see me in my wholeness, in my paradoxes, the people who see the divine in me and who are inspired, the people who I see the divine in, these things that are not supposed to go together, these visions that are too bold, too prophetic, too wild, impractical, the people who are building the kingdom of freedom for all. This is my family. This is my mother. This is my father, my brother, my sister, my sibling. We choose one another, and we call out to any who is willing to catch the Holy Spirit and join us. There is grief in this. There is joy at finding new family, but there is grief. And of all places, I, I found inspiration this week in this grief in a Harry Styles song. There's a song on his latest album called Matilda. And it says this. You can let go. You can throw a party full of everyone you know and not invite your family because they never showed you love. You don't have to be sorry for leaving and growing up. You can let it go. You can throw a party full of everyone you know. You can start a family who will always show you love. You don't have to be sorry. Jesus shows us the way. And Jesus' ministry comes into conflict with empire, with family, with his places of origin. But he is not alone. People are busting down doors to be with him. A community of love and hope is forming around him. The kingdom is coming, but it is already here whenever we live fully, freely, in the fullness of our divine image and in love. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, you made us weirdos. <laughs> weirdos in your weird image. God, we thank you for the paradox of your being. We thank you for breaking binaries before human beings created binary boxes to begin with. God, we pray that you would give us the boldness of liberation and solidarity that we need to be on board with the healing work of your spirit. May we find one another. May we hold one another close. May we call out to those who have not caught that vision yet. May we dream, may we build, and may we be free. Amen.